Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaverdam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Kroenke. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. And we realize that whenever Reformation has happened in the history of the church, things get messy. And after this past synod, things are really starting to get messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're taking the opportunity to have conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. We also want to say thank you to everyone who sponsored us on Patreon. We're slowly making our way to our modest goal of 20 sponsors at $5 a month. If you appreciate what we're doing and want to help us continue to put out content, head on over to patreon.com backslash the messy reformation. You can also support us by sharing our content. I'm a terrible self-marketer and need your help. If you know of anyone who would benefit from listening to this content, let them know about the messy reformation. Also, let them know about our newest announcement, the Hall of Tyrannus. We're really excited about this new opportunity to disciple reformers for the CRCNA. Make sure you check out our first discipleship course on created sexuality that begins in November. If you'd like more information on this, head on over to themessyreformation.com and look for the Hall of Tyrannus. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part two of our conversation with Eric Van Dyken. Like there's some times where you enter into a negotiation and you realize it's you're never going to come to a win-win because you're both just looking for completely different things. And the whole time I was listening to him talk about that, I thought this is where we're at in the CRC. That that we're our, our, our I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm just feeling that tension in the CRC right now where where we've got like two groups that are that are wanting such different things that there is no there's no place of compromise in the middle. There is no like win-win agreement in the middle where we're both going to get what we want. And so we're, we're in this tough spot where we've diverged so much where we can't find that commonality to actually have productive, helpful congregation uh, conversations about how to move forward. Yeah, I would agree. And I, th- I think that's, I think it's driven home by some of the reaction I've seen out of um, certain corners co- coming out of synod, um, you know, I, I I saw a lot different in synod, and I'm just one guy, um, and I was on the side that you could say prevailed, which I don't even like to use that word, but for better or worse, let's say that let's use that word. And so my perspective is colored by that, admittedly, but some of the the descriptions of what went on there just baffle me. I, I mean, uh, and uh, so one of the things that drives home to me is that we are so far apart in certain corners, not everybody, but in certain corners that it's really hard for me to imagine a um, a, a reconciliation there to, to put it in biblical terms. Uh, I just don't, I don't see it. And, and as many have pointed out and, but we need to keep pointing out it's fundamentally how we read and approach scripture. That's what's getting us at, at 
fundamentally different places. The more and more I read voices that I disagree with that I'm still trying to learn from on the progressive side of things, the more and more I recognize that their, philo their theology and philosophy of scripture is so different from, from, from ours. And they will certainly say they want to honor scripture. And in my heart, I really, really want to believe them. But I, I think they're in error in how they're trying to do it. And I would say that fundamentally, the way they approach scripture is, is a house of cards eventually. It has to lead to ultimate deconstruction. And frankly, we see it every day all over throughout progressive circles. So many of them do deconvert. Um, ultimately, deconstruction, you know, depending on how exactly you define that, can be can be healthy if done properly. Um, but I wouldn't even call it deconstruction. And I think if it's done properly, it's just more of a Berean mindset of constantly, or the, the white horse in has that theme, know what you believe and why you believe it. Yes, should we be constantly examining and saying, is this true? Why do I believe it? What do I base it on? Is it just been delivered to me and I accepted it? Or do I own it in my heart and does scripture support it? But I believe that the progressive the most hardcore progressive side is, is really kind of a house of cards. And I don't say that to want to be unkind, but just to be really honest. Um, and I, we've all seen it lead to really, really sad, sad outcomes. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Eric, you had, you had brought Synod up. I, I wasn't going to ask too many questions about Synod, but um, I, I did want to kind of ask something. Uh, we, We'd had plenty of conversations over Synod. I was grateful for the time I got to spend with you there. And I noticed something about not just you, but also the Minkota guys. It seemed like you guys sort of went out of your way to engage with people that you might have known from the outset you weren't going to see eye to eye with. Um, at least that's, that's the way it seemed to me anyways. Was that an intentional um, move uh, on, on the part of you guys to kind of uh, not just stay in the echo chamber, so to speak, but to actually be engaging with some people from the opposition. Certainly, personally, it was for me. I, I was I went into synod absolutely uh, committed to that, and I I always say I do that for multiple reasons. I do that to try to properly understand those who I disagree with, so I can argue against what they're actually arguing. I do not want a straw man people because i hate that feeling on my side i don't think that's honoring to god i think it's bearing false witness and I, I think there's too much of that that happens so i do want to understand um i do that to honestly learn i do have things to learn from people of all sorts of perspectives god speaks through the church and through our brothers and sisters and so and in my work as the chair of the vision Minkota committee i know we have we have emphasize that there as well in talking to one of our goal one of our jobs is to equip try to equip our synodical um, representatives and we've we've talked about that that we need to be willing to listen we need to not become caricatures of you know some sort of you know Minn Kota is caricatured a lot and I would say let's not live into any caricature of us um, mm. let us be deliberate about being um those that are trying to be thoughtful, engaging, um, not sitting on a high horse somewhere. I know people want to um, ascribe all sorts of things to classes in Minkota, and it's been a bit of a whipping boy, perhaps you could say. And um, but but 
you know, if it's slander, then you just let it go. But let's do all that we can to not. Um, and yeah, I just, I really enjoyed it. It was, it was so fun for me to sit with, with people um, and talk and hear and listen. I mean, I, to throw a name out there as his name has been out there everywhere. I had probably three lunches with Larry Louders and um, I knew who he was coming in and uh, he came and sat at my table. I don't think he knew who I was coming in. And he told me later, he said, I saw your name tag in your classes and he just had a big gulp and he said, Oh, where is this going to go? And well, we had some just really um, lovely conversations and um, yeah. Does it, does it mean that he, you know, emerge from there saying, well, I guess Minn Kota is, I guess we'll just follow what they say. No. And, and did I say, well, Larry, you've convinced me of, of where you're at. No, but certainly it helps me to personalize who Larry is to speak carefully about him and lovingly about him. Um, and in that way, I think we can avoid echoing the broader cultural phenomenon where we dismiss each other, easily label each other and, um, and really, slander each other way too easily um and we don't want that to seep into the church i certainly want to guard my heart against that yeah amen yeah we've we've talked about that a bunch of times already just that being one of the huge benefits of synod itself is just rather than all of these disconnected conversations over social media and even via overtures where you're kind of that's all impersonal communication now you're together you're sitting down around yeah around tables for breakfast lunch and dinner and having coffee with people and and it makes the whole interaction personal mm -hmm. and it takes away a lot of those straw mans if you're actually trying and and yeah I'm right there with you I've uh, I get so frustrated I get frustrated when I hear myself being you know like a straw man being said like well you believe this but I also get really frustrated when I hear that about someone else because I think man just be honest about what they're actually arguing because for one, you're not effective and you're, that's also slander and a false witness against somebody if you're misrepresenting their argument. So yeah, we need to yeah. be able to, to interact there. But, but again, like you said, just interacting doesn't mean we're going to change our mind on it either. Right. But at least we can, we can really understand. And, you know, that's been probably one of my big frustrations is, uh, the, the language that I've heard come out over and over again coming out of Synod is this accusation that um, we're not listening. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm like, I don't know anybody who's not listening, who's not engaging with people from the other side. I sat down and had lunch with people who I disagreed with to talk to them throughout Synod. I was listening to their arguments. I was paying attention. They just didn't convince me. But, but that doesn't mean we weren't listening. And so the, I think it's just a, it's a false accusation that keeps coming up over and over again. Yeah. And I, I would, you know, I think going into Synod, some people thought that this is an open question and we're going to sit there for a couple hours on the Synod floor and all of our minds that were completely open will be made up. And I, you know, I, I, I rode on the airplane to Grand Rapids next to a brother who clearly saw some things differently than I did. And so God was gracious and said, Hey, start talking already about this. As I pulled out one of my synod books, he goes, I'm going there too. So we, I put the book away and we talked and he said, well, I hope everybody comes with an open mind. And I, I said, well, yes and no, uh, open mind to listen and learn for sure. But open mind in the sense that I'm a 50 year old elder in a church. And this has been discussed for 50 years, my whole life. And I'm an elder in a church and I still don't have a conviction on this matter 
well, I would say shame on me if that's the case, uh, because I've clearly not thought about it enough, um, and I'm not I've not been equipped to guide my congregation. Um, so it's naive, I think, to think that any that a majority of delegates would come to synod and just go, well, I still don't know what you know which way I would go on this. I'm just going to wait till we all talk about it. And what I haven't decided in 50 years, or pick your number of years, you know, maybe there was someone there at 85 and someone there at uh, 35 or 30. Mm. I haven't decided in X number of years, but I'm going to decide in two days. <laughs> that to me yeah. is naive. Um, so I think it can be a both end. We can be convicted and yet have open hearts to listen well, to even to recognize that the Lord can speak in new ways, but to also recognize that God spoke in his word first. And, and if we haven't read and studied and come to some convictions on that, yeah. probably a lunch and um, someone's emotional appeal shouldn't really sway our hearts um, on matters that significant. Yeah. And I, I would dive in. And uh, as you were saying that, I was thinking of a quote from, I think it's GK Chesterton. It sounds like GK Chesterton anyways, where an, an open mind is supposed to be like a mouth. It needs to close on something eventually, not open all the time. And, uh, you know, and I've experienced that in my own life where I go through periods of time, there are certain beliefs that I'm pretty open on. I'm still wrestling with trying to figure out, but but there are certain beliefs where I went through that period and I wrestled and I wrestled and I wrestled. And then I, I eventually became convinced this is what God's word says on it. And I'm not, you're not going to change my mind on that. I've done the wrestle work. I've had the debates. I've had all of that. Like, you're not going to change my mind on Calvinism, right? You're not going to change my mind on infant baptism right now. My mind is no longer open. Now, maybe on how that's applied, blah, 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 but but on the concepts of it, I've done the work, my mind has been made up, and you're not going to change my mind on sexuality either. Maybe some of the nuance, we can try to figure out, some, you know, there's so, I think there's some debatable things that we are going to still have to work through at the CRC, but at the basic core level, yeah, our minds aren't going to change on that. We can listen, but, and maybe we can try to figure out, maybe our mind can be open on how we apply that to our denomination a little bit, but but at the core, whether it's, whether it's a sin or whether it's not a sin like that, that our mind, I don't think anybody's changing their minds on that. And somebody said that, I think, um, I remember having, I think it was somebody, I maybe had a conversation with them at lunch. They're like, here's the reality. We could have sat down day one, taken this vote and it would have gone the exact same way. Cause everybody came in already kind of knowing what we're going to do on that. My, uh, my question and kind of, I want to ask this to both of you guys. Um, do you gentlemen kind of think that the the accusation of, oh, you're not listening, is that really a guise or a translated way of saying, we don't agree and I don't like that? Do you, do, do you guys think that's kind of a more of an accurate representation? Because I agree with what you guys are saying. I don't think there's anybody that could honestly say no one listened to each other. I think it's the fact that... Uh, we're not going to agree on this after much deliberation and they can't change anyone's mind, nor can we change theirs. Do you think that's where the impasse lies? I would say, yes, I think some of that is we're hearing frustration. Um, we're hearing frustration speak and some people do um, make an equivalence between listening and agreeing. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, of course, we all know fundamentally that that's not true. We would never say to our kids, well, 
um, I'm not listening to you because I'm not agreeing with your perspective right now, right? I mean, our kids know fundamentally when we're listening and we're not, um, but listening does not mean, um, and there's a danger in using kids as analogy because people, why are you saying I'm like the immature child? No, but fundamentally we can understand it in that context that listening and agreeing are not synonymous. And, um, and yet we are being told essentially the only way you will be portrayed as being irenic, as being um, fundamentally agreeable people, is if you agree with our perspective. That's what I'm hearing over and over again. I, I hate to say it that way, but that's I can't take any other message away from it. We will see you. We will not impugn your character um, when you get to the point of saying, yeah, you're right. We're, we're ready to go your direction. That's that's what I hear. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking. Uh, I've been thinking about this moment, and I'm I'm with you. It is dangerous to use this analogy of a child and a parent, but I'm going to use it anyways. And I'm not trying to say progressives are childish. I'm just a human nature thing. Is I remember this interaction I had with my dad. He's he's a farmer. I don't remember how old I was. I wanted to buy this stereo, and I wanted to spend a bunch of money on this you know, big honking stereo as a kid. And I needed to get my dad's permission to spend my money on this. And so I had laid out all of the arguments in my head on how, why I should be able to do that. And I laid out the arguments there to my dad in the middle of the barn. And he listened and he listened and he listened. And he said, no, that's stupid. You're not going to spend your money on that. And I was like, no, but you got to hear my arguments. And I said my arguments again. And he's like, no. And I remember yelling at him, you're not listening to me. Um, because like in our brain, we think I have this figured out. And if you just listen to me, if you just heard my argument, then you will be convinced of this. And if, since you're not convinced, you obviously aren't hearing my argument because it's good. And there's just kind of this, this kind of gut reaction, not just in children, I think in adults, adults as well, that if we're not in agreement, you're just not really listening to me. You're not really hearing my argument. I, so I think that's kind of going on beyond it when we're saying, yeah, we're not changing our minds on that. They're saying, but you're just not changing your mind because you're being stubborn and you're not listening to us. And we're saying, no, we're hearing you. We're just not convinced um, of your argument. And interestingly, it tends to go one direction. A, a prominent delegate at Senate said to me, to my face, and then later on the floor of Senate, I came here expecting to be able to convince people but nobody's being convinced. And I thought to myself, did you come here with the expectation that you should also be able to be convinced or that the church could speak to you as well? Um, and, and the church did speak if we're to believe that God works through the church as we've structured it or, you know, as it's been structured in our setting. Um, and that was, I think, a frustrating part. And, and a lot has been made of a certain delegate from Minkota that, that some of his frustration came to the surface. But I think to myself, okay, complain if you want about a brother's frustration in the moment, how that expressed itself. But is it not understandable to see how we can get through the end of that and for a brother to feel like, how is it that someone stands up in front of the body and says, your will is probably going to be shunned? That, that that leads to really, really difficult places in the church. We would certainly do that in our local congregation. We would, we would really struggle to hear that if we were trying to bring someone along and they said, 
sorry, we're not, we're not going to listen to you um, right in the moment, especially. Um, so I have a lot more, he's my brother in Minn Kota, so I have a lot more patience with him, but I think people, if they put it in context, can, can give a lot more grace there than maybe some have to that brother. Yeah. Yeah. And even to put, I guess, a finer point on even that, I mean, we believe that when we're gathering at Synod, we are gathering like the church in Acts 15, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, after they came to their conclusions, they said it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so the church had just gotten to the point of saying this decision seems good to us and the Holy Spirit. And, and he stood up and said, nope. <laughs> we're not listening to that. Right. I mean, that's, yeah. that's, how, I mean, I, I know, I don't want to just keep railing on that, but I just want to draw the sharp point of like, that's how serious that moment was. It wasn't just mm -hmm. some small thing. That was a pretty significant, serious deviation to yeah. say, we're not going to follow that. And I'll be straight up to that point. I was so appreciative overall of how that delegate handled himself and i said it to his to his face i just really appreciate it he was sitting in an extremely challenging position yeah. being being the face of an issue like that and a localized church issue like that um and i thought he was super gracious in so many ways on and off the floor leading up to there um but i th that was a moment that was um yeah, it was it was difficult for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, and I would I'll agree with that. you. I would agree with you. I would give him high praise for how he handled himself throughout the rest of the week and how he handled himself in other deliberations. I thought he made his arguments well and and graciously. He went out of his way to talk to other people. So I I don't want to like even I don't want to take Larry Louders and pinhole him for one moment. Just like I keep telling people, stop doing that. Chad Workoven as well. Stop pinpointing him for that one moment. Um, but whatever, we'll, we'll move on. Uh, one, of the, one of the questions we've been wanting to ask or we've been asking people is, what are you, how do you see the CRC differently now um, than you did maybe a year ago? Like what, are, what, are, what new things have you learned about the Christian Reformed Church? I have met and seen um, a broader base of like-mindedness on the on, on core issues than I was perhaps previously aware of. And that, that has been a significant encouragement to me. Um, I have been surprised at how divergent some of us, or, or how divergent we've become in some areas despite um, similar upbringings, um, the conclusions we draw from them. Um, that has been one thing that leading up to Synod and some of the things I heard about Synod, I, I hear people relate experiences of their growing up and they draw a lesson from it. And I'm, I'm continually surprised to hear that it's the diametrically opposed lesson than what I've drawn from it. And that has been interesting for me to observe. Um, instructively so, um, sometimes for me to recognize there are vastly, people experience things differently. And then sometimes I think people, how am I going to say this, mischaracterize um, things as well to a degree. And um, I can be guilty of that and I have to be careful for that. But, but I overall came away um, more encouraged than I would have previously been. Um, I, I wouldn't say that Minn Kota was prepared 
broadly to leave as much as I would say that Minkota was trying to do the work of thinking about what happens if Synod does not go well and um, and having some expectation that things may not go well. And I think having reason to believe some of that, and I don't think we were totally alone in that, but um, I mean, and people will keep me, that's a struggle for people to hear sometimes, but I think I would say we didn't have one foot out the door as much as we were trying to be, you know, innocent as doves and shrewd as serpents, you know, and, and, and there's a certain level of needing to think um, and be prepared that God calls us to, even if we got to be careful that we don't, you know, kind of operate as if we're half here. Yeah. Yeah. And I would just say, cause I, I know uh, some people have gotten up in arms over hearing that classes Minkota was thinking about leaving or whatever. And, and I've just said, man, part of what I do is I interview pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church in many different classes. And let me tell you, there were many classes that were talking about what are we going to do if, if things go south at this synod and if we make some really poor decisions. And there were many classes that were talking about oh, coming up with contingency plans based on how things came up at synod. So, and, and why wouldn't you? I mean, why wouldn't you kind of plan and prepare based on the history, the trajectory of the CRC, right? This is, this is, I don't have the exact stats, but just based on my own memory, this is the first time in 20 years, at least that where we disciplined a church. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that, what were the odds that discipline was going to happen mm -hmm. at, at Synod? We, nobody really knew. And so um, the fact that, that there was disciplinary action taken kind of surprised some people and it was taken, you know, strongly. I mean, there was more people voted in favor of disciplining Neyland Avenue than in favor of the human sexuality report. And so, um, so that was, that was encouraging to us, but I don't think many people saw it going that strongly um, leading up to synod. Mm -hmm. um, well, we're, we're kind of beginning to come to the close of our podcast. And one of the things I want to ask um, is, you know, as you look forward to the future of the Christian Reformed Church, uh, what do you think we need to be doing in our local churches? Because we don't want, like you said earlier, we don't want to ignore our local congregation while we serve Reformation for the denomination. But uh, what do we do in our local churches, um, in our classes, and, and in our denomination to start seeing Reformation happen in the Christian Reformed Church? I would say it starts with um, discipleship. Um, and I, I would even bring it closer to home than our local churches and to say discipleship begins first and foremost in my heart. My practices, my, my discipline to be in the word, to be in prayer, and to constantly reflecting on how God is, is forming me. And then um, in our churches, we need to probably recapture, um, you know, a better, better practices in discipling one another and not just in our local body, we're reaching out more broadly and, and, and discipling the communities around us to the extent that we can. Um, it's not been a strength of the CRC. Um, and I don't think it's an either or. I think we, we should be doing both and in, in our in our children and our families. Um, but we have seen, and, and our church has not been immune to it, um, that culturally there's been less emphasis on things that were taken for granted at my age expectations about involvement in the church some of them were wrote some of them were legalistic um to be sure but god used even those things i mean i'm a testament to that 
it wasn't rote in my beginning, but I, I wandered seriously from the Lord. Uh, in college, I was a, well, high school, into college, I made confession of faith, and I, I believe it was a true profession, but it, it in many ways didn't settle in my heart. But what did God use when he called me? He used all those things my dad taught me, my grandpa taught me, my catechism teachers taught me, um, all that memorization, all that scripture that was embedded in my heart. Um, and he brought it to mind, and the Holy Spirit just drove it down deeper and deeper and deeper. And um to me, it starts there at the local level with, with those practices, and then it bubbles up from there. And, and with a confidence, I would, sitting in, I don't, I'm not the regular high school catechism teacher, but for the last couple of weeks, I have been. And we got to the end of Dr. Warren Lammer's book on the um, uh, Heidelberg Catechism that we're, that we're going through, the end of the Lord's Prayer, that book. And I, I just really stress to the kids that this is, this is stuff to love and embrace and, and God will bring this to mind later for you. You, you may not realize at all how much this is going to benefit you later, but God will use it. Um, and I think that's so, so important. And then to see, see that well up into mature Christian lives um, because we have to have a confidence in what we believe or we will Every time the world throws something at us or somebody, the progressive theology of questioning things, which seems to be, you know, that the word critical is very core to progressive theology, um, we won't have an answer. Yeah. What's the hope we have? Well, I'm not sure. Um, And I I shouldn't chuckle about that, but um, I think we're losing some confidence in what we have stated we believe. Yeah, for sure. And and even just a to dive into that further, our catechism says, I, I've been talking to a lot of people about this, when it asks, what is true faith? It says, it's a. it starts off, it's a knowledge, mm-hmm. right, by which I hold is true, but it's also a conviction or a certainty in our heart, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a double thing. It's not just a knowledge. It's not just a head knowledge. It's a heart. It's a heart conviction of that knowledge. But but one of the things I've been telling people recently, and just as I've discipled teenagers and as I've discipled young adults, and I, even as I've looked at my life, that knowledge part was a foundation. Mm-hmm. Like you can't skip the knowledge part to get to the heart stuff. You have to, there's like this foundation of knowledge that's laid and then it's there. And then eventually you come to love it. Um, and I think as we teach, you know, my goal as I teach is to help people know things and to love them at the same time. Like, that's my goal. Like, I want you to know it and I want you to love it at the same time. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that just doesn't happen um, most often. And, I, and I've told people, even my own journey, right? I grew up in a Christian Reformed church. I was Arminian for many years in a Christian Reformed church. Um, and eventually I became Reformed. And I said, my journey was, I, I hated Calvinism. And then I had to believe it. And then I became convinced that, okay, scripture teaches this, but I don't like it, Um, but I have to believe it. And, uh, but then you grow into that to eventually where like, I love this doctrine and these doctrines, like it's the, it's at the foundation of my hope and joy in the world to understand God's love and care and sovereignty over the world. And, you know, I've told people, there's no way I, me nor my family could have gotten through last, you know, last year in my whole battle with COVID had they not known that God was in control. And actually my, my oldest daughter just had me in tears last week. Cause she, she had me read one of her journal entries from there. And she mm-hmm. right in the middle, when I was in a coma, they weren't sure I was going to make it. She came across a passage of scripture and a song. And she said, I just said like, Lord, you're in control. He's in your hands. I trust you. 
Mm. Now, man, that puts, I get chills just thinking about it. Cause that's, mm-hmm. um, but that's, you know, it's anyways, you come to love that knowledge. It's not just a knowledge of like God's sovereign, blah, blah, blah. No, it, it, it's something we love and we live by each and every day. But, but all of that to say, don't skip the knowledge part. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to know things in order to love them in order to trust in them and to have faith in them. We have to, we do have to know some things. Mm-hmm. Um, one kind of final question, um, just looking bigger picture outside of our local congregations, as we're looking forward to Synod 2023, um, what types of things do you think uh, churches and classes should be thinking about as we look forward to Synod 2023? Don't grow weary. Um, to me, th- this can be wearying to discuss these things, to, to battle for them. Um, you know, we have not yet suffered you know much certainly not to the point of shedding blood and and uh you know church history can be a real can be a real encouragement in this to look back and to say look what some did what they sacrificed to 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 suffer for or to fight for battle for the truth and if we need to see it i think in those terms not that we then place people as enemies but that we put the truth to such a high level of importance and recognize the ramifications of not adhering to that truth um that we are willing to continue to stay in to stay in the fight for back of a better term to stay in the trenches um and do the do the hard work necessary to inform ourselves to formulate respectful responses um and i i think one of the things that will be interesting to see i think broadly speaking we some point need to have this confessional conversation that mr vanderclay has has called for for years around scripture and our doctrine of scripture we need some sort of a chicago statement for the crc at some point short of that we will struggle to remain to have commonality we need some something like that and i hope churches are thinking about that purposefully how do we understand scripture what is our doctrine of scripture um and what happens if our doctrine of scripture is different what do we lose or what do we gain do we have errors in how we think about scripture do we are, are we biblicist sometimes um you know depending on how you define that word that can be good or bad but um so yeah, I think I think that's hope, hopefully how we approach synod by saying, "Hey, the Lord's calling us back. The Lord's calling us to recognize that things worth battling for don't come overnight." And so we struck a blow um, to put it in terms of warfare, um, and we know that's not warfare against people, right? It's spiritual forces that we're thinking about here. We're not we're not striking a blow against people. We we love every person we went to synod with and i know both of you brothers feel that you were there you were you were um wanting to um wanting the same type of um motivations to be behind behind everything and we need to go back to synod with that same type of attitude loving people and loving god and his truth and his church and then yeah being willing to struggle for it that's all we have for this week stay tuned next week for our conversation with kurt monroe But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season. And keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation. Reformation.